Hello and welcome to the Better Business Show with me, Tom Idle. Thanks for tuning in. Coming up this week. The energy system, the healthcare system, the education system, the governance system, uh, and certainly the food system are four to five systems that I think if we were going to start from scratch, we would. Like They are rooted in a set of ineffective habits and mindsets that are suboptimal for the challenges that we have today. Yes, the quite brilliant Josh Tetrick, CEO of Hampton Creek, is the star of this week's show, and rightly so. This is a company making mayonnaise without eggs, for goodness sake. Stay tuned. Yes, welcome back. This is episode 60 of The Better Business Show. Very much appreciate your coming back to us and tuning in. Uh, So a week or so ago, I got back from uh, a quite incredible trip uh, to San Francisco. Incredibly uplifting, very energizing. I was there as a guest of the guys at Clean and Cool, Guy Patterson and uh, Will Hill. Absolute gentlemen, thank you for having me on the trip. I was one of three journalists on an entrepreneur's mission to San Francisco and Silicon Valley. Uh, and part of a group of an incredible group of, of 20 clean tech startup companies, many of which um, you're going to meet in the coming weeks on this show. So stay tuned for that. Uh, so as the weeks play out, I'll be telling you so much more about each of those businesses and, and what we were doing in San Francisco. Essentially, the very best entrepreneurs from the UK on the cusp of commercialization. Uh, and disrupting a, a range of sectors, uh, energy, water, waste sectors. So um, we'll, we'll come on to that in, in the, as the weeks play out. But this week, I wanted to bring you a story from San Francisco, which not only blew me away, but also all of the entrepreneurs and the organizers of the trip. Uh, and that is the story of Hampton Creek, a company that many of you might be familiar with. Uh, they certainly haven't been short, but short of media coverage in the last few months. Uh, I'll explain a bit more in a moment. But before we get into the meat of this week's show, uh, a bit of housekeeping. First, I want to say apologies, really, for not being here and not pumping out episodes uh, week in, week out uh, like we were last year. The Narrative Matters work roster uh, has exploded, uh, um, among other things to have exploded in my world, which is which is awesome. Uh, but it has meant that the, the Better Business Show has had to take a bit of a back seat in the last couple of months. But that is about to change, and you can expect us to be back on track now uh, for the foreseeable. Uh, following on from this week's food-themed show with Hampton Creek, we'll be following that up with another uh, Future of Food special edition of the show next week when we exclusively report back from Nestle's HQ over in Geneva. Um, so we'll be recording that a bit later this week. After that, we've got a fantastic forward schedule of amazing business stories for you. So stay tuned, please. And there's just one thing I ask of you before you listen to this week's show, and that is to sign up to our weekly newsletter. Just go to the website, betterbusiness.show, uh, and hit the uh, the button there to subscribe to our newsletter, and you'll start getting that every week. If you're like most of us, you grew up on nachos, vending machine cinnamon rolls and fast food chicken sandwiches. Our parents would give us a few dollars, would eat whatever tasted good, and more often than not, if it was cheap and tasty, it was also accelerating chronic disease and climate change. That's how unjust our food system is. This is how Hampton Creek rather brilliantly introduces itself on its website. So meeting this business as part of my recent trip to San Francisco was always going to be a highlight. 
From our base in downtown, we pile into a minibus and we're driven to the outskirts of the city. We arrive at a nondescript, beige-looking, signless warehouse-type building. And this is the home of Hampton Creek, one of the most exciting, talked-about businesses in the world right now. It's a very young company with a rich history. You can Google all the stories you want about customer wobbles and coups. There's plenty of them out there to read, not least the fact that three of the company's top executives have just been fired by the CEO after he accused them of plotting against him. Of course, the other huge story is that this is a company that has managed to grab a billion dollars in investment, largely based on a promise. But what a promise that is. This is a business that promises to make us all eat better by making use of the 400,000 species of plants that haven't really been touched or harvested to make food because we're completely hooked on all the usual stuff, on soy, on corn, on cereal, and Hampton Creek wants to change all that. So I feel so lucky to have entered through those very indiscreet doors of Hampton Creek, past the security guards, to see this place in action. Much of that cash is currently being spent on laboratory equipment to find out what these new plant species could be used to create the foods that we know and love in the future. So far, Hampton Creek has about four different products on supermarket shelves. It's got a mayonnaise, a salad dressing, some cookie dough. So there's a very, very long way to go. But if you listen to the CEO, Josh Tetrick, which you're about to in a moment, you'll understand why we should all be so excited about this business. So anyway, after the tour, we nestle into one of the boardrooms inside this huge building, which apparently used to be used uh, by Pixar to make films. And we meet Josh, uh, who gave us an insight into his business and then took a few questions from our group, uh, including one from uh, myself, as you'll hear. Anyway, this is Josh. Remember, in this conversation, he's talking to a group of uh, cleantech startups. So he talks a lot about investment and and attracting investors, as you would imagine. Uh, But anyway, here's Josh. One thing that I've... I've learned along the way, the more what you tell, this is we have R&D team meetings in this room, the closer what you say to like your R&D team or your entire team or to yourself when you go to bed at night and what you tell the investors, the better. <laughs> you know, like in what you believe in your own head, <laughs> you know, the better too. Um, so we started this company five years ago. I am driven by this idea that there are too many needs generally in this world um, for business to stand on the sidelines. Um, when I think of needs in this world, the needs are really driven by big systems and you guys have attacked a big system out there, but the energy system, the healthcare system, the education system, the governance system, uh, and certainly the food system are four to five systems that I think if we were going to start from scratch, we would. Like they are rooted in a set of ineffective habits and mindsets that are suboptimal for the challenges that we have today. Um, and we continue to do them. And the energy system is a good example. Um, I believe in the science of climate change. Marissa believes in the science of climate change. Hopefully, Everyone who works for me believes in the science of climate change, yet this building is powered by a coal-fired energy plant about 40 miles away. Like, how fucked up is that? It's a system problem. Um, the, the energy system, much like the food system, has made it 
terribly easy for good people to do exactly the wrong thing. It's systemic. Um, and as I was thinking about what kind of you know company I started, I you know I've had certain experiences with with food growing up in my life. Was fed a, a shitty diet and didn't have a lot of money growing up, uh, eating all that food. Um, I began to think about which of these systems I want to attack though. Um, and I have uh, a best friend uh, also named Josh, who uh, I think also has a problem with the energy system and everything else, but he really pushed me to pay more attention to the food system. And the combination of kind of how I was raised and wanting business to do good and, and Josh got me really thinking about these problems. And these problems in the food system are one billion people go to bed hungry every single night. 2.1 billion people live in a state of micronutrient deficiency. This is a state where kids might have food in their belly, but they don't have food that enables them to develop cognitively. They don't have food that enables them to really protect themselves from disease. And then six and a half billion people eat crappy food. And this is food that accelerates chronic disease, accelerates climate change. And this system is really driven by, we think, two things. One is, it's not that the biggest food companies in the world don't care. It's not that they don't get what I just said right there. They actually do. The number of tools that they have to be able to deal with it are like in this box, you know? We have some soy here, and we have some corn here, and we have some processed sugar here, and then we have billions of confined animals here. And that is the toolkit that they're using to attempt to make healthier and sustainable food more affordable and taste really good. It doesn't work. In the same way that if you were trying to you know, create a car that didn't emit um, uh, one ounce of, of carbon, well, you probably aren't gonna use an internal combustion engine. You need different tools to be able to get to where you need to go. Um, and the second problem is a mindset. A mindset that says that healthier and sustainable food cannot be more affordable and cannot be tastier than everything else. And that fixed mindset keeps anyone from trying anything different. So we are trying to approach the whole thing differently and build an entirely new operating system of food. An operating system that says we can actually create a world where the healthier, the sustainable food choice is the choice that takes over. Not the choice that's the alternative thing or the better for you thing or for conscious consumers, that's for a small company. What we're trying to do is to create a model that makes the existing model completely obsolete not by appealing to people's hearts, but by just making it fucking taste good and making it really affordable. Uh, in the same way that I think, in my personal opinion, a better energy system you know, is gonna pop up. Um, I, I read this is about, I don't know, three weeks ago, I guess the UK for the first time in 24 hours, didn't tap into uh, the, the grid for coal, um, which I thought Any was- Any fossil fuel. Say it again? Any fossil, Any fuel. fossil fuel, which I thought was like incredible. <laughs> And for me, was, for me, it was such a bright spot of, here we go, <laughs> the system. The system is beginning to change here. Uh, but to create a new system, we need to really look at all these different components of it. So how do we do that? Um, and for us, it starts with a resource that a lot of people forgot about. Not sun, not uh, wind, <laughs> not hydro, plants. Uh, there are about 400,000 species of plants all around the world. Um, it's not in the current toolkit of the modern food system. Um, it's in our toolkit, though. Uh, we've searched all around the world for them. Uh, we have an automated screening platform that I'll show you uh, what it looks like that screens the molecular features, looks at the functional features of plants, and ultimately enables us to select, select certain plants 
to make food categories better, healthier, more sustainable, and ultimately more affordable. Uh, we have a team of 138 people. Um, over a third of our team is on uh, the R&D side. We have computational biologists to kind of sort through this data. We have food engineers that scale it up. We have protein processors that figure out a way to take a raw bean like these here, separate the fat from the starch and the protein, and then ultimately have a, a source ingredient that enables us to make scrambled eggs from plants or mayo without an egg or butter uh, without a cow. Um, and we've done this over and over and over again, so much so that for us, it's really about doing one through six over and over again and repeating it. It starts with exploring the molecular landscape of plants out there, applying them to food categories, enabling others to. So part of our business model is this awareness that we're not just gonna do it ourselves, but if you're Nestle and Kraft Heinz and others, we wanna enable you to do it too. And I'll share with you more what that looks like. Um, a big learning for me is you can have you know, an automated discovery platform, you can have all these fancy scientists, but if you don't have the gridded out world of operations here, it's all a joke. Uh, so we've really, it's something I've really had to learn, something that wasn't obvious for me, is that getting delivering things, time, delivering things on time and in full, having a logistics network, a warehousing network that makes sense, if you don't have all that stuff set up, it will eat cash like crazy. And you'll end up spending millions of dollars on that, getting the basics right, when you probably would rather spend millions of dollars investing in R&D. You know? um, critical for us, too, is... It's not just about building compelling products, but figuring out a way to connect with human beings. Food is a food is emotional. It is cultural. It is identity. It is all that stuff, and you have to figure out a way to connect with people. And we've realized that connecting with people means that you don't say enjoy this vegan mayonnaise because no one will give a fuck. No one wants vegan mayonnaise, or enjoy this vegan cookie. No one calls Heinz ketchup vegan ketchup, but it is. You know, and I think there's a kind of insights in there to how you know we might think about clean tech, how to frame it in a way that connects with how most people are thinking about their lives, as opposed to, good, you're in clean tech, so you must love, love Al Gore. Okay, sounds good. So you love that movie. Okay, good. So you must have supported Hillary. Okay. So you probably don't understand how I live. I don't want to buy it from you. I've just noticed that that's how people think. Um, instead of fighting it, just it is what it is. When we say plants, um, we're just talking about this stuff. Like we're talking about all these species around the world that um, the biggest food companies haven't really taken a look at it. We bring them in and we run it through this uh, screening platform. We source them, we screen them for a whole bunch of different molecular properties, functional properties, and ultimately through this process, we can we can take a look at the, the big categories in food, they're 52, worth over $2 trillion, and say, okay, can we make scrambled eggs from plants? Can we make butter from plants? Can we make biscuits from plants? Uh, and it turns out you can. It's hard, it's more than just the discovery, it's the product development, it's the engineering, it's the scale up, some of which were farther along than others. Um, but we've tried to, in a, in a fairly expeditious way, get out some of our initial products um, to the market. So today we have cookies and mayo and dressings um, and cookie dough. 
um, and we sell an ingredient to General Mills, and we're in 3,300 public schools. We're in almost every Walmart, almost every Target. We're in corporate cafes like uh, the U.S. Senate, um, the American Bible Society, uh, big sports stadiums like the Staples Center. Um, we are at the cafe of the Illinois Farm Bureau, Berkeley. Um, so broad array kind of demographics. We distribute with Walmart Mexico, Park and Shop in Hong Kong. And some of our products are really competing head-to-head with the biggest players. This is one of our products, Cookie Dough. This is in a top three retailer. And uh, we're, we're beating Nestle. We're beating Pillsbury. Uh, we're beating you know, the others. And it's always been like fundamental to how we think about things. If you gave me the choice between being a company that has a 100% chance to be a nice public company, you know, multi-billion dollar, everyone would think we're really good and we're really smart, but we wouldn't fundamentally change everything or a 20% chance to really fucking go for it and potentially change the entire food system, I would definitely take that. Uh, and that's something that I tell investors. And that's something just as a point, I think being really clear about who you are and what this is, um, is a really is a really important thing to do. Because you can self-select in a very positive way. I've had some investors when I've shared that say, and I'm out, sounds good. Thank you, I enjoyed the butter or whatever. <laughs> Um, but like not for me Uh, and I've had others who have said here we go I'm in like I want to do I want I want the chance to do something big Um, I talked about the enabling others piece we think to really solve the problems in the food system we need to enable other people too Um, we've signed a term sheet with some uh, some of the largest companies out there uh, to be able to do uh, this kind of work to make to make this happen we we realize that like it's not it's not just you know biochemists and chefs but having process engineers having food engineers like engineering has become a critical component uh, for us to to make this happen and these are a handful of engineers downstairs uh, getting ready for uh, one of their runs this is some of our plant library material downstairs Uh, and all of this is infinitely more complicated than i ever thought it was going to be Long term, we want to continue to build out our intellectual property, and our IP is based upon how we go about discovering these plants, the discovery system. It's based in what we find and how we bring that together in formulations. Um, It's based upon how we process uh, some of that work, Um, and it's something that we, we continue to add to. One of the our most important members of the team are, is our VP of Intellectual Property, uh, who spends every day drilling in with the team to really understand all the IP we're generating. Because some companies generate a lot of IP and then no one captures it. So it's like, what's, what's out there? Um, so he's, he's done a really good job uh, drilling in with the team. And then overall, uh, overall, we were trying to we're trying to create a world that looks more like that. Uh, food that nourishes the body, strengthens the environment, that only is a reality if we create food that tastes better, that's more accessible. Otherwise, like, it just it doesn't work. Um, so this is what we're pushing towards.
Um, so that's us. But I'd love to, I'd love to answer any question. We can drill into investors, pitch decks, business models, like whatever. I'll let it all out with you. What's your What's your first name? I'm Michael. Michael from Sticky World. Is your it, biggest? Oh, and then I'll say just for reference, we we've, we've been really fortunate. I've tried to attract investors that are not just kind of the Silicon Valley world. Um, we have a number of Silicon Valley world investors. To do what I just articulated, I think we need an infrastructure globally. Um, and Mitsui, a major Japanese conglomerate, is an investor. Um, Tomasic, Singapore sovereign wealth entity, uh, is an investor. Um, the China Construction Bank uh, is an investor. The Heineken family. Um, so it's been really important to me, and that's something I've learned, sorry to cut you, it's something I've learned that a dollar from one entity is not the same as a dollar from another entity. One could help a lot more than the other, and it's important to tell the difference between the two. Sorry to, sorry no, to sort you. Of, your, your ambition relates to my question. Is, your, is, is the bigger challenge the, to scale this out globally and make that happen, is it the... Uh, the buy-in from the consumer or the various stakeholders you've got or is it the science? Mm, I don't think the buy-in from the consumer happens unless we create something that's significantly better which requires the science. Like you can't, I mean take I'm going to take butter as an example. So it turns out butter is really carbon intensive. Um, a lot of people don't think about butter being carbon intensive, but it happens to be very carbon intensive. Now, how do you, how do we get 90% of people moving away from the current version of butter to something different? Well, one of the most important reasons I would say something different has to taste better. It has to bake better. It has to work better in all the ways that butter would work. It just has to be better, right? And the only way it's that is if we figure out a way to find, to process, to, to make that happen through, through a platform. Otherwise, lots of vegans will buy it, for sure. Um, but it won't change anything. We can make a lot of money. Um, and it's not that I don't want us to make a lot of money, but I'm more interested in us shifting everything. So the science requires... If, if I, I guess I, you start with the following premise. For, I'll put in energy terms maybe. I think for clean energy to win, it must be more affordable, uh, more affordable, more accessible, sexier, add a few other things than dirty energy, from my perspective. Free of carbon tax, free of cap and trade, free of all that. When I, and I say win, I don't mean win like just for 24 hours, I mean, kick the shit out of, you know, carbon-fired energy. Like, I mean, just end it. I think that's the way it really, I think that's the way it really ends up winning. And I think to get clean energy there, you need, you need really, you need really advanced technology ultimately to do it. Can I reframe my question yeah, in yeah, terms sure. of the time frame? Yeah. Which battle do you think you'll win first? So, I mean, which will go faster? Will the science go faster than your ability to dominate the, the mindset? people. See, I, food's so personal. Yeah, but you, you know, the table and people like lots of people like margarine. Yeah, you know, so we focus less on the mindset than a lot of people, meaning I don't actually give a fuck whether people know that they're eating plant-based butter. Honestly, I don't care. I just want them to enjoy their butter. 
you know? And I, so I think, like, yes, is there some consumer, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, it's like energy again. I mean, do we really need to change if we're trying to sell like an electric, if we're trying to sell like an electric pickup to my friends in Alabama, you know, I guess there could be some mindset stuff, but the quickest way to change the mindset is to give them a pickup that makes them feel more like a man. That mindset will change pretty quick. <laughs> you know, it'll probably make them feel like more like a man if it's faster, has more of a get up. Probably need to make it, probably need to have some like fake ignition sound or something in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Tom. Hey, Tom. Um, what does the likes of Nestle think about what you're doing here? Um, they, without saying them specifically, a number of larger food manufacturers want to work with us. They want to, they're, they're, they're interested in how we're, they're interested in our technology, our, the ingredient systems, the formulations, um, and how they can incorporate into their products. And we think that's great. And we'll, we'll happily enable them to do it with four to six percent royalties on every dollar product they sell. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Are they willing to accept that that deal that you're? Uh, so we're we're in a so today the only the only larger food manufacturer that we work with is General Mills, um, and that way we're we're currently talking to a number of different different stages, um, so to be determined. Another another part of it though is, and this is I tell investors this, I want to open source a lot of this stuff. You know, we, if, if the mission is really to do this, that's what you would do. Um, what does it look like to put out a big challenge to the biggest food manufacturers and say, okay, you made a lot of excuses for why you're not solving this problem. We've heard it before. Can't make the food affordable enough. People don't like how it tastes. Okay, here we go. Is, you know, this is eight cents a serving. People like how it tastes. We have a process for how you do it. Let's get on with it. Here it is. Here's how you do it. So that's something we really want to do in the future too. Yeah. Have you ever thought of using microalgae? So you mm. We've thought about it. Um, I actually don't know if our platform is taking a look. It'd be something I'd be open to. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And another question is on the value chain. I mean, you you immediately decided that you want to focus on R and D and then sell the product at the end so that you can get, let's say, more revenue, while you outsource all the rest. You outsource downstream processing, you outsource the plant cultivation, and, and so on. Is that the kind of operational business model? Well, uh, well, just to, don't give me too much credit, but I mean, five years ago, you know, I just pretty much just had a pitch deck, right? So, I mean, we were trying to figure out along a lot of this stuff along the way, <laughs> you know? I had some rough version of something that could work five years ago, but it was really early days, right? I'm just, it's really, really early. So, but I say that to say, yeah, today, today we just, um, today we outsource our manufacturer. We outsource our protein processing. Doesn't mean we'll do it tomorrow though. We might, um, depending on kind of where we are, the products we're making, um, I would potentially own them. And Just depends. Yeah, That's okay. What was the, the let's say, the, the, the step that enabled you, let's say, the first investment, the first step, a big investment? Was it technology? Was it a business model discovery? Was it that you got 
uh, a contest were interested into the into your idea. It was it was a guy named Vinod Khoslaw, who is a billionaire, who makes lots of bets, and. I happen to be lucky to be one of the many bets that I'm sure he makes along many that fail. And it was a chance to attack a big system that didn't seem like a lot of people were attempting to attack. Uh, and he probably thought, this is like this crazy dude who <laughs> seems pretty excited about it. What is it? What is, so, okay, let me try $500,000 here. Honestly, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, on that, how, how much do you think he was buying you and your vision versus your technology? Because a lot of people just pitch the tech and forget that. Do you think there's a human side to why he? I mean, when we first made that bet, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, but when we, we keep in mind we just started, it was it was a handful of kind of like the, when we, I mean, literally just started. Okay, I'm talking like day one. This was just a this was a handful of things that we were random prototypes that we were doing our best to put together. This was. You know, there was, that's what it was in the beginning. This was like me, me and a chef, like ordering ingredients from everywhere, trying to combine them together to see, you know, what potentially could work, right? There wasn't, when we first raised, there wasn't biochemistry a part of it, you know? There wasn't an automated discovery platform or any of that stuff. <laughs> so I really, I mean, I think it was, he could probably speak about it better than I could, but I think it's, $500,000 when you're a billionaire and you have a multi-billion dollar fund, you take bets. And most of them don't pan out. But if one of them pans out, you know, yeah. You mentioned that the agricultural toolkit was wrong. Um, and you highlighted soy as one thing, but is moving to using something like yellow peas just switching one monoculture to another monoculture? Mm. So I think the, so the it's not that the monoculture thing isn't a, isn't an issue. Like the my foundational thing is like take a a cookie, just an example, a biscuit. I want that to use a lot less water, a lot less land. I don't want an animal to be abused in that process. That's ridiculous. It doesn't need to be the case. I think it needs to taste better. I think it needs to be more affordable. Got it. How do you do that? I think a better way to do that is to use some of these other plants out there. Um, but you do have to be careful not to create monocultures, for sure. I don't think we're, I mean, we're not anywhere near the scale where that's an issue. Um, but it is something to be thoughtful about. I think what we're trying to do is keep discovering. So even if we discover something that's good, um, it doesn't mean we're not going to keep discovering more things that hopefully will be better. Um, and I do think there's a case to be made. You don't need to have like one crop to kind of rule them all. You could have any number of different crops with very similar functionalities to create more diversity. Yeah. So, <clears throat> in order to realize your vision, <clears throat> you've had to raise quite a lot of funds. I was just wondering if you could speak about, um, just really briefly, what your exit strategy from Hamilton Creek is, if there is one, and mm. also how much of your company had to give away to, mm. to realize this. That's a great question. Um, so the, I, again, this is, why, this is why it's important, like what you say when you go to bed at night, like it, it all needs to, it's, it's better to say what you feel. Um, and some people, so if some people don't invest, they don't invest. Um, I don't even, 
my brain, I don't even think of that word exit in my, I don't even think about that. An exit strategy for an investor, there's only two ex exit strategies for an investor in Hampton Creek. One, make nothing. <laughs> or two, um, decide to sell your shares when we're a public company. Like there's no other option. Um, and I, when I think about, about being a public company, I'm not actually particularly excited about being a public company. I look at being a public company as a potential financing event that we get financed and then we, we continue on. Like I don't, I know for an, for an investor that, that ends up being sort of an endpoint, And I think, you know, maybe in the next three years or so we'll do that. But um, I, again, I've had investors where I've said that too. And they're like, now, truthfully, I've had some investors that think I'm bullshitting when I say that. Because maybe that's like a thing entrepreneurs say. Um, but three years in, they realize that I'm like dead serious about it. Like I do not, it's just not, it's just not the path. And it's not the path primarily because I don't think it increases the probability that we solve the mission if we do that. Um, I could say without giving the exact percentage, I'm, I'm the largest current of individual shareholder of the company. Um, I will say, in case anyone doesn't ask the question, um, it is as important as raising capital is and all this, corporate governance cannot be ignored. You guys are starting your companies here. Um, emphasis on your. And as investors invest more money in the company, um, I'll tell you about my perspective first. You might have a different one. My perspective is that the core decisions about the technologies we deploy, who we hire, who we fire, all of it, um, that those core decisions should be the team's decision. Um, and for me, that increases the chances that we achieve our mission when we do that. Um, and for three years, that wasn't the case. So, you know, the very first investment we got in the company, um, I paid a heavy price for that. You know, a heavy price where you, you lose control of the company you started. And the price was never felt. You know what I mean? It was never, there was never like a substantive disagreement in a way. I mean, it, but if you're trying to build a company for the long term, and, it, and especially from my perspective, given the centrality of the mission, um, most, not all, most investors will naturally have different incentives than you do. It's only natural. It doesn't mean that's wrong to have different incentives, but they're nonetheless different incentives. Um, and it's expected and normal, and this is capitalism after all. Um, but it's really critical that you as entrepreneurs understand the difference between your bylaws and the voting agreement. If you don't, you should go check it now. Um, it's really critical if you understand the difference between the charter uh, and the bylaws. It's critical that you understand um, your board composition and how the board composition is different than your composition of preferred shareholders. 
it's critical that you know the answer to questions like, if you decided to move out of hydro and get into solar, could you? Could you, if, if you thought that increased the probability of accomplishing your mission? You know? Um, and for, for us here, that is, even though we're, we've been like really lucky to raise a lot of capital and like blessed to have incredible investors, um, that's important. What if you die? What happens if you die? If you don't know the answer to the question, you should dig into like section 4.2 in your bylaws and figure out what the fuck's going on. <laughs> Shit will always happen. It will always happen. No matter how no matter how successful quote unquote you guys are now, it doesn't matter. Like the nature of building a company means that lots of shit will happen that it would be very unexpected. And like the way to deal with it is to like open your eyes, say what it is, tell the truth about it, um, and know that you've gotta you've gotta ensure that you continue to have the autonomy to direct the long term mission of your company. If you just continue to focus on what you want and put your head down and do work, things take care of themselves. Like they just do, <laughs> you know, in the midst of good stuff, bad stuff, like focus on what you want, do really good work and things take care of themselves. Um, and, you know, just the natural stuff. Of, I've learned like the right kind of person to hire here. Um, you got to have really, you got your intent about what we're doing has to be like real when you strip away all the bullshit. Like you got to really care. You can't just be in it for the money. Um, you got to be gritty. Um, so that, that's something some mentors have told me too. One more, one more. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry. What, why Hampton Creek? So sorry, James, my, my company's Green Fuels. Yeah. What it says on the tin. Yeah. But why, why Hampton Creek? What was, where did the name come from? My, my best friend's dog was named Hampton. Yeah, not a lot of thought behind it. <laughs> Good answer, that's great. Yeah, yeah, not a lot of that. But I, I'll just I'll leave you with this, guys. You can always just email me at Josh and Hampton Creek dot uh, com too. Some of the some of like the best books that I found. There's a book called Switch by Dan and Chip Heath uh, that talks about how to make change uh, how to make change when change is really hard. It, about, it talks about the the import of sending uh, setting really clear destinations for uh, the team. Uh, there's a book um, called Made to Stick. Uh, that talks about sort of the no matter how complicated the issue you got to figure out a way to separate into into ways that, that normal folks can actually understand um, there is a book called The Social Animal by David Brooks uh, that talks about um, that talks about uh, something that I think has been forgotten, empathy and often technologists don't think about this word empathy and, and why it really matters um, and in anything I can do to help, I will. And I would just say, have your own operating principle. Like my operating principle is, does this decision increase the chances that we will accomplish this mission before I die? If the answer is yes, good chance I do it. If the answer is no, good chance I won't do it. And you need something in the midst of all this uncertainty to like help sort it out for you. You know, um, but anything I do to help again, make sure to email me. Thanks, Marissa, for making it happen. Cool. Thank you. Thank you.
There you go. Not appealing to people's hearts, just making food taste fucking good. Love that quote. Josh Tetrick, CEO of Hampton Creek, giving us unique access inside the home of his business in San Francisco, where so many great things are happening right now. For more on Hampton Creek, go to hamptoncreek.com, which is a website which has the very best articulation of a corporate purpose I've ever seen, as I tweeted a while back. Uh, It's awesome. Have a look at that if that's your thing. Um, But anyway, before we go this week, uh, don't forget, please, to check out the the Better Business Show t-shirt shop, Men's and Women's Tees, emblazoned with great quotes from the great and good of the environmental movement. So if you're in the market, for a new t-shirt for the summer head uh, then head to betterbusinessshow.tmill.co.uk tmill spelt uh, t-e-e-m-i-l-l that's betterbusinessshow.tmill.co.uk all of our lovely organic t-shirts are ethically produced by the wonderful people at Rapa Nui on the beautiful Isle of Wight so many wonderful people on the Isle of Wight um but yes, so do that. Love you to, uh, to help us out and support the shop. Uh, there are plenty of ways for you to keep up to date with The Better Business Show. As I mentioned at the, right at the start, uh, sign up to our weekly newsletter at betterbusinessshow. Uh, sorry, betterbusiness.show is the website. Uh, you can stalk me on Twitter at Tom Idle. And of course, you can subscribe via iTunes. Just search for Better Business Show and hit the subscribe button there. We're also available on SoundCloud and Stitcher and Deezer and TuneIn. So take your pick from all those different apps. And if you like what you're hearing on this show, then please do tell your friends, tell your family, tell your colleagues and encourage them to, to listen and subscribe as well. It'll be great. Uh, but thanks again for tuning in. We'll be back again next Monday, as I said, reporting exclusively from Nestle's Future of Food conference. Uh, so until then, goodbye. Goodbye.